Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Trisclear. Thank you for letting me help you learn God's Word. And if you want to learn more, go to markdriscoll.org. I've got a weekly newsletter answering your questions, daily devotions, blogs that are Bible teaching and their orientation, and a small mountain of sermons going through lots of books of the Bible. So join me at markdriscoll.org and we'll help you learn even more of God's Word. Well, it's a great honor to be with you men. And uh, let me get set up, tell you a little bit of my, uh, my story. I, uh, my dad was a union drywaller, any blue collar guys? You got a truck, you've got a tool belt, you've got a thermos full of coffee every morning. That was my dad, union drywaller, construction worker. And I grew up um, next to an airport um, before there was an incorporated city. So a lot of prostitution and drugs and violence and gangs. And I was one of the only kids in my neighborhood to have the honor of actually having a father. And uh, really nobody in my family, I didn't know of any man that had ever been to college. And I didn't know of any men in my family, my immediate line, that were Christians. And so I uh, ended up getting a scholarship and heading off to college. And there I was sitting in my dorm room as a freshman and I had to read uh, some philosophy for a class at the State University. And in addition to that, um, was given a Bible by a young woman that I've since married. And my little joke is always, if you're a single guy, a woman buys you a Bible, buy her a ring, call it a deal. That was kind of our deal. And so um, I was sitting there in my dorm room reading the Bible and I literally got a word from God from Romans chapter one. And it said, and you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And at that moment, it was like God flipped a switch in my soul and all of a sudden I realized I don't belong to me, I belong to Jesus Christ. My life is not my own, my life now belongs to Jesus Christ. And I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what does this mean? Because not going, growing up in a Christian home or with a Christian father or from a Christian heritage, I didn't know exactly what that meant. So I started looking for a church and uh, some of you may have had this struggle. I didn't know what to look for in a church. I grew up Catholic and I knew nothing about evangelicalism or Protestantism. I didn't know that there were wonderful churches like this where you know, the band is awesome and people are loved and the Bible is taught. I had no clue, I, I, I had no clue whatsoever. And by God's grace, I ended up in a really good Bible teaching, Jesus loving church that had some great men who like you all are, they were really salt of the earth men. Um, a lot of them were farmers. It was a rural area. It was, it was a state university in the middle of wheat fields, literally. And so our church was college guys like me who didn't know anything and a bunch of farmers who spent time out on their tractor all day talking to Jesus and had more wisdom than Yoda, those kind of guys, right? And so the, the guys grabbed me and they said, uh, Mark, uh, you know, you need to go to the men's, the men's retreat. I didn't know that men got together like this. I had no clue. So I said, what's a men's retreat? I said, oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, find your way there. Okay, so I, I ended up at this men's retreat and then there's a whole bunch of guys uh, of all ages, a lot of beards and boots and, and, and there was some of us boys and, and here we are and they're all singing to Jesus. And I thought this, it seems like these guys actually believe that Jesus is alive and they're pretty fired up about this. And then they started teaching about how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be an employee, how to be a leader. And I thought, well, this is super helpful. I should have known about this a long time ago. And then uh, the pastor said, uh, I need you all to go get some time and meet with the Lord. I didn't know what that meant. I was like, I don't know his secretary. I don't know how to get on his book. I don't know how to schedule a time with the Lord. So I literally went to the leaders. I was like, 
sorry, man, I'm a brand new Christian. Like, I, I don't know how to get time with the Lord. And they said, just, just talk to God and he'll talk to you. Okay, so I go out for a walk alongside this river and you know, it was beautiful. It actually looked a lot like this sort of topography. A lot of trees, some rivers flowing. It was kind of rural country area right on the Idaho-Washington border. And I'm going for a while, I'm like, oh, hey God, it's me, Mark, and probably knew that. And you know, I didn't know how this all worked. And I told I was supposed to schedule an appointment. So, hey, what's up? You know, and, and so I'm trying to figure out, uh, and I finally was just like, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm 19 now. I said, uh, so you just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do that. That was kind of the gist of our conversation. And I'm walking along and, and God spoke to me. Uh, some people asked, what did he sound like? Sound like he was in charge. That's what it sounded like. Um, he said, uh, Mary Grace, that's the gal I was dating. So I was glad to hear that. Um, preach the Bible. Oh, okay. First time I ever really heard that or thought about that. Um, train men, train men and plant churches. I'm 19. And I look around, make sure none of the college guys are pulling a joke on me. All right, and I, so I came back to the pastor. I said, uh, that meeting with God was pretty good. Went better than I expected. I, uh, I feel like he gave me a little punch list of four things to do until I die. And uh, he said, well, let us consider that. And he said, that was the word of the Lord to you. He said, so you need to receive that as the word of the Lord and that's God's calling on your life. You need to obey that. So starting at the age of 19, that's all I've been doing. I'm now 46. I know, look, I'm, looks like I'm aging in dog years, but I'm 46 and, and that's what I have been doing. And one of the things that I love about opportunities like this is I believe God likes to show up and God likes to speak when men assemble as his people in his presence. I believe that God wants to give you a word today. I believe that when God's men make the effort to come together, I believe that God is a father who loves each one of his sons and that God has a particular word for each of his sons. And God spoke to me through his word and then God spoke to me when I was with his men and I wanna bring those two together for you. I believe God has a word for you from his word and I believe he has a word for each of you men. And so my exhortation, my encouragement today would be to wait to receive whatever God's word is to you and then to spend the rest of your life acting in obedience upon that. Because it's not just information that God has for you, it's transformation that God has for you. And so I'm gonna ask something really strange. Could we turn the lights up a little bit, just a little bit? With this many men, it feels like a weird disco. Okay, so I want the lights up a little bit. And here's what I wanna do. I wanna take God's word and I wanna have a particular word from God for each man at their life stage. God doesn't just speak to men in general, he speaks at their life stage. So all of you who are young men, 18 and under, would you please stand? All of you men who are 18 and younger. Any other men, 18 and under, okay? Can you men welcome the young men and honor their presence with us? I wanna thank you young men for joining us today. 
I wanna thank you for an opportunity to speak to you today. I wanna thank you for not sleeping in or just watching college football, but taking the effort to come and to be with God's men. And for each of you young men, I have a particular scripture for you, and it is regarding the Lord Jesus, and it is from uh, Luke chapter two, verse 51 and 52. If you've got that, please throw it up. This explains Jesus at your age. You may not know this young men, but and we'll say, God became a man. Before God became a man, he became a boy, a young man. God was 12, God was 13, God was 14, God was 17, amen? Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be your age. He knows exactly what it's like to have your voice crack, your beard kind of come in, and girls to be interesting and terrifying at the same time, okay? That's the years you are in. God was your age, right? And so when you men, you young men think of Jesus, I need you to think of him at your age at your age. And here's what it says. And he, Jesus, went down with them. That was his mom and his dad to Nazareth. Jesus grew up in a small rural town. I don't know if you knew that. Later on, he's gonna do ministry in Jerusalem. As a young man, he grew up in a small town. I've been there. There's one well that can't support much life. There was probably a hundred people or less that lived in his town. His parents were poor working class. Most of the people in his community were working in agriculture. Um, his dad was a blue collar guy who was a carpenter. The home that he grew up in was about the size of a parking stall where we would put a vehicle today, and that would include space for the animals. So if, if you grow up in a rural area, you grow up in a hardworking blue collar family, you have a dad who makes a living with dirt under his fingernails, um, you are growing up in a situation that is very similar to the one that the Lord Jesus Christ did. And it says that he was, here's your word, young men, that's God's word to you, what's that word? You can say it out loud, young men. What's that word? Submissive. What this means is that he learned from his mother and his father. For your future, God's word to you right now is submissive. God's word to you is submissive. That means that you're teachable. That means that you are humble. That means that you're willing to listen and you're willing to learn. I know that you think your parents are stupid. They're not, they're not. They're not always right, but they're not stupid. And if God has given you a mother and a father in this culture, you are incredibly blessed and that is a rare thing. If God has given you a mother and a father who are believers and the spirit of God resides in them, you are given an extraordinary gift that the vast majority of young men your age simply do not have and desperately need. And I want you to respect and to honor and to listen to and to obey your parents. Now, some of you may have already considered this. How hard do you think it was for Jesus to submit to his parents? Okay, did, was Jesus ever wrong? No. Did Jesus ever sin? No. Did Jesus still submit to and obey his parents? Yes. Jesus needed parents and he was perfect. I assure you of this, you're not perfect, you need parents. You need a mother and a father to instruct you, to correct you, to direct you. He was submissive to them, to both of them. You young men, one of the things that the, de the devil wants you to do is he wants you to submit to one of your parents, but not to both of your parents. So some of you, you're like, I always talk to mom because she says yes. 
Others of you, I only talk to dad because he agrees with me and he understands me. You need the wisdom of both of them. You need the wisdom and the input and the impartation of both your mother and your father. That's why the Bible says to honor your mother and your father, to obey your mother and your father so that it might go well with you. God wants your future to flourish. And God knows that if you only listen to your buddies, you're gonna get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so you listen to your mother and your father submissive to them. Here's my encouragement to you young men. God didn't create you and make a mistake giving you to the mother and father that you have. That was God's destiny for you. That's God's appointment for you young men. Are you submissive to your mother? And don't just say yes, ask her, right? Ask her. Are you submissive to your father? Don't just say yes, ask him. And here's what it says. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart that she was honored to be his mother, that she was proud of the young man that he was becoming. Now, the question is, how did Jesus do this? If you are imperfect and Jesus is perfect and Jesus had parents and you have parents and Jesus who was perfect could submit to imperfect parents, then you who are imperfect can submit to imperfect parents as well. Do you get that? He was perfect, his parents were imperfect, he still submitted to them. Your parents are imperfect, you are imperfect, you can submit to them. How did Jesus live his life of submission? How did Jesus live his life of learning? Now this will be a little bit of a theological rabbit trail. How many of you have heard of the church creeds? The church creeds tell us historically the summary of the life and work of Jesus. And one of the problems of the church creeds, they all go from, he was born of the Virgin Mary and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. What they miss is his entire life. What Jesus was doing between his birth to the Virgin Mary and his suffering under Pontius Pilate was submitting to his parents as a young man. How did he do that? Here's how Jesus did it, here's how you can do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, dwelt in Jesus, empowered the life of Jesus. It says this over and over in Luke's gospel that he was filled with the Spirit, that he was led by the Spirit, that he rejoiced in the Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord, he says, is upon me. Here's what I need you men to understand. Your word from God is to be submissive so that your life can flourish and grow. And for that to happen, you need to be a Christian who is following the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. How did Jesus say no to temptation? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus avoid putting his hands on young women in a way that was not appropriate? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus say no to the temptation of drugs and alcohol, which are some things that have been tempting young men since the beginning and they're not new inventions by the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus discern truth from error by the power of the Holy Spirit? How did Jesus choose the friends that he would spend his time and energy with? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God while on the earth, but he set aside the continual use of his divine attributes and he lived as we live a human life by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where Hebrews says, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us for he has been tempted like us in every way. You young men need to understand this. Right now, the entire culture is a fool's parade of idiots. That young men are wasting all of their time on pornography and video games and stupidity. 
that the, the future that they have is not one that is plotted or planned or leads to flourishing or life. And the temptation is for marketers to create for you a false sense of masculinity, to tell you that men are determined by what they consume, but not by what they produce. And so young men become about drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography and entertainment. They're all about consumption, not production. They are takers, not givers. If you will think biblically, if you will set before you men who are life stages ahead of you, if you will look down the road with a vision for your life and be submissive to wise counsel from your mother and father and have a commitment relationship with Jesus, where you submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, your life as a young man will increasingly look more like Jesus and less like this foolish world in which we live. I want this to be God's word for you young men. This is your season to be submissive and to be filled with the Spirit to be submissive to instruction and to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you will do that, your entire life and destiny will change and the legacy that you leave in your wake will change and you will be considered an outlier, an oddball and a freak, but so was Jesus and you want to be with him and you want to be like him, amen? Okay, so let's all raise a hand and pray for the young men. All of you older men that are around younger men, I want you to surround them and literally lay hands on them. We're gonna pray over the young men, okay? We're gonna pray over the young men. If you're a young man, you stay standing and raise your hand. I want you men to take a moment and pray over the young men that are around you and then I will pray for them as well. Go ahead and pray out loud, man. Pray for the young men. Father God, I thank you for these young men who joined us today. It's a tremendous honor to have them. Lord, at their age, I didn't even know you. At their age, many of us didn't know you. And some of us who knew you, we weren't walking with you faithfully. Lord God, for any of these young men that have a father who's a Christian, a grandfather who's a Christian, thank you for that tremendous blessing. Any of them that has a mother who is a Christian or a grandmother who is a Christian, we thank you for that tremendous blessing. Lord God, we pray for protection over these young men. We pray that they would be able to discern folly from wisdom, uh, error from truth, death from life. I pray, Lord God, that right now they would receive this word, that your word to them would be submissive, that they would be in a posture of learning, that they would take the attitude of a student, that they would listen to their mother, their father, that they would listen to the teaching of your word, that they would read the right books, starting with the book that you wrote, the scriptures, and that Lord God, you would impart to them wisdom and life so that they could grow to be great men and not devastated men in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you all may take your seat. Now for the next group of men, you young men who are 18 to 40, all of you guys who are 18 to 40, stand up. It's your turn, you ready? 18 to 40 year old men. When the Bible talks about a man, manhood is considered biblically right around 40. Up until 40, you're a young man. And so Paul says to a young man, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That probably meant that he was under 40. Now let me say this about 
young men. Okay, I've read the whole Bible, it's a great book. It doesn't say anything good about young men. I'll just let you in on a little bad news. It does say they are strong. So are terrorists, pit bulls, and food poisoning, right? That's not necessarily a compliment, okay? Um, young men in the Bible have a lot of strength, but sometimes they lack a lot of wisdom. They have a big sail, but they have a bad rudder. They tend to have a lot of power, but they don't know where they're going or what they're doing. And you need to know this. So for you young men, 18 to 20, here's what I need you to know, that the entire culture is set up to destroy you. There is nothing in this world that is built for your flourishing. That if you go to college, there is not a men's studies department. There's nothing for you. There is nothing for you. There is no such thing as the National Organization for Men. That doesn't exist. If you wanna learn how to be a father, where do you go? Where do you go? Other than the church, there is no place that talks about fathering. You want to get married, where do you go to learn that? You can find a veritable mountain of pornography on the internet and very little practical instruction for how to get married to a woman and love her and lead her. It has gotten so bad for young men that for the first time in the nation's history, statistically, there are more young women than young men in the workforce. There are more young women than young men in college. There are more young women than young men in the church by over 10 million people. That means lots of Christian women cannot find a Christian man with whom to have a Christian marriage. For the first time in the nation's history, there are more women, young women than men that have a driver's license because young men are living on their phone, they are playing fantasy football, they are downloading pornography, they are putting stupidity on their social media outlets, and they are dinking around and wasting their days and don't even get a driver's license. For the first time in the nation's history, the majority of children born to women 30 and younger are born out of wedlock. 40% of children go to bed tonight with no father. It is a generational epidemic of boys who can shave. Guys who have become anatomically men, but they are spiritually, emotionally boys. It is a crisis. It is a crisis. And you need to understand that marketing comes in to fill this void for you young men. You are a man if you drink this beer. You are a man if you drive this truck. You are a man if you eat this meat. And let me tell you that all they're trying to do is take your lack of an understanding of masculinity and fill it by creating goods and services and products to take your money if you're foolish enough to believe that what you drive and how much meat you can shove through your colon and what kind of whiskey you drink creates ultimately a man. You need to understand that. You need to understand that. Making matters even worse is the absolute generational father wound epidemic. Young men either had no dad or they had a bad dad that they have not forgiven. The result is there is a deep and profound father wound in a whole generation of young men. The result is they don't know what a man is, they don't know what a man does. They tend to overreact in one of two ways, becoming too tough, the kind of thuggish, brutish, emotionally distant, conquering alpha male, 
or too tender, the really nice, sweet, easygoing guy that gets run over and taken advantage of. And if he does get married and raise children, they are not defended and protected. And men tend to go one of two ways when they have this deep father wound, either they become too tough or they become too tender. And they don't understand that Jesus was both tough and tender. There was times he was very tough dealing with religious people and very tender dealing with broken people. And he was both depending upon the need of the circumstance. I love young men. I love you, young men. I have hope for young men because Paul says that you are the glory of God. And this is God's particular word to you. This is the apostle Paul writing in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a what? A little boy. There's nothing wrong acting like a little boy when you're a little boy. When Jesus was 12, he was mature for 12. When he was 22, he was mature for 22. When he was 32, he was mature for 32. But if you're 32, acting like you did when you're 12, that's immature. You are not a child. Part of the problem in this culture is there is no rite of passage. Guys don't know when they become men. Is it when you're 16 and you can drive or 18 when you can vote and join the military? Is it 21 when you can drink? Is it when you graduate from college? Is it when you get married? And what's happening now is marriage is being pushed off by men all the way to the age of 30. That's about when the average man gets married. Now, what happens is in that time, what we've done is we've extended his boyhood. We've actually created a life stage that the Bible doesn't know about called adolescence. It used to be you were a boy and then you became a man. We created this middle gap for you young men called adolescents. I call them boys who can shave. These are guys that have a man's opportunities, but a boy's responsibilities. These are guys who keep freeloading off their mother. They're, they're, they're boomerang guys that keep moving back into their parents' home. These are guys who spend their 20s dating, relating and fornicating and not worshiping and serving and giving. That's the problem. And what it is, it's a whole bunch of guys who are trying to extend their childhood years as far as they can. And I'll tell you where it gets real sick. Some guys will push their childhood years all the way into their 30s. And then 10 years later in their 40s, they get a midlife crisis and go back and have their childhood revisited when they spent the majority of their adult years in childhood already. He says, when I was a child, I what? I spoke like a child. How, how do you speak? You speak like a man. You speak like a child. Are you impetuous? Are you cursing all the time? Are you one who can't think through and then withhold some of your frustrations and tuck it in a bit? Do you speak like a child when you speak of women, when you speak of children, when you speak of responsibilities, when you speak of your father, when you speak of your mother? Do you speak in such a way that brings life or death? He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. I thought like a child. It, there's nothing wrong with thinking like a child if you're a child. There is a lot of crisis culturally that happens when you think like a child and you're a man. You know the difference between the thoughts of a child and a man? A child thinks someone should take care of me. A man thinks I should take care of someone. A child thinks the world exists to serve me and a man thinks I exist to serve the world. 
We live in a day when quite frankly, a lot of boys who can shave want the government and their mother and their family and their friends and their church to mother them. And I would say that many men have been overmothered and underfathered. The result is that you're looking for someone else to take on your responsibilities. You're pushing them to your parents, to your girlfriend, to the state, to the government. The school needs to raise my kids. The church needs to save my family. The government needs to provide for our well-being. Uh, the youth pastor needs to make sure that my wayward child is brought home. The children's ministry director needs to make sure that my kid knows the Bible stories. And we think like a child, we hand all of our responsibilities and opportunities over to others. It's not the job of the state to take care of your family. It's not the job of the church to save your family. It's not the job of the cops to restrain your family. It's your job. It's your responsibility. You're the head of household. These are the opportunities that God gives to you. And the government can support and the schools can help and the church can come alongside. But really the great gap that exists in our culture is exclusively men. The majority of people who attend church, women. Women's ministries are always bigger than men's ministries. That women are always serving more than men are serving. That women are always giving more than men are giving. And there are women that are going to church in their single years and men are not. And so men get drugged there by their mother. And then in their years of being a young man, they're just sinning and they are foolish. And I love you men and I'm glad you're here, but you each know a hundred guys who are absolute idiots that need to be here. You each know a hundred idiots who need to be here because they were drugged to church by their mother. They are gone and sinning and thinking and acting like children and they won't be back until they've got a woman pregnant and she's desperate and she drags him and the children to the church, hopefully not on game day because he'll never show up because his religion is football and not Christianity. And he is far more interested in a, a temple of, of athletics and some guys carrying a dead pig over a line than walking with God and building a legacy. I'm not against football, but I think football is a great recreational activity in a terrible religion. I think if you're more excited about Ohio State than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got to rethink everything and I love you. But how many guys, even in this culture, they're like, man, I'll tell you, my priorities are football, not family. My priorities are ultimately to enjoy my recreation and entertainment, to think like a child, to think like a child, to think like a child, and to expect the church to raise my own children. And then find a good church where my wife feels safe and they've got programs for my whole family so I can sit on my can and say, I've taken care of my family because I went to work and put food on the table. Your job is not to, just to provide financially, but spiritually and emotionally as well. And there is a pastor in your home and you are that pastor. And that's how men think. This is my wife. These are my children. This is my opportunity. These are my responsibilities. A child thinks, entertain me, feed me, fill up my sippy cup with beer, bring me chicken wings, you know, on a Disney plate and just let me sit here and pretend like I'm a man, okay? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Some of you are thinking, well, this doesn't sound right. This is not how I think because your brain is broken because the culture is corrupted. Your brain is broken because the culture is corrupted. Your strongest years, men, are your 20s and 30s. How many of you guys are on the backside of 40 and you realize your power years are in the rear view mirror, they're not in the windshield? 
These are your strongest years. These are your critical years. These are your crucial years. Don't waste them on porn. Don't waste them on chasing foolish women. Don't waste them on bitterness. Don't waste them on recreational activity. Don't waste them on alcohol. Don't waste them on stupidity. Don't waste them on entertainment. Don't. Don't waste those years, invest those years. He says, when I became a what? A man. So the Bible has a difference between a, a boy and a man. My question is, which are you? Don't say, well, I, I'm a man. I have hair on my chest. So what? So do monkeys, right? <laughs> so do monkeys. Are you a boy or a man? A boy has others taking responsibility for them and picking up after them. A man takes responsibility for themselves and their wife and their children and their church and their community. And they are about bringing solutions, not bringing problems that others need to solve. He says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For you young men, here is my, here is my question of you. What do you need to give up? The Holy Spirit will tell you, it's my job to ask. He will tell you, what do you give up? What do you give up? Some of you need to give up your hobby, not because it's evil, but because right now with a wife and young kids, you ain't got time for it. Some of you definitely need to give up your porn habit. Some of you definitely need to give up your regular and over drinking. Some of you definitely need to give up your laziness. Some of you need to give up your crummy work ethic. Some of you need to give up your bitterness against your father. Some of you need to give up the fact that you don't like a guy like me telling you what to do. I do love you, but it's time to start taking responsibility for your own life instead of blaming everyone else. I'll give you guys a little lesson. Nobody follows a victim. If to this point your whole life has been, I'm a victim of circumstances, of a failed father, of a, of, a, of a broken home, of a difficult life, of a downward economy, of a broken culture, of a demonic attack, you may be a victim, but let me tell you this, nobody follows a victim. You wanna lead, you gotta stop being a victim, you gotta start being a victor. You gotta figure out how to get out of the hole you're in and to get up to zero and then to make some progress and to move forward. Amen. And that's your responsibility. It's your life. You will stand before God and give an account for your life and also everyone and everything that was under your responsibility. Young men, I need you to know that if you will take God's word to heart and to think and act and speak like a man instead of a boy and to literally put boyish ways behind you and manly ways ahead of you, that God will bless what you are doing because your God is a father who loves you. You're his son. He likes to bless you and help you and encourage you. And God's grace is there for the men who are willing. The want to always precedes the how to. If you want to be a man, God will help you learn how to be a man. But the want to precedes the how to. And I'll tell you, if you guys look at all of our cultural problems, the solution to almost everyone is this. There wasn't a godly husband and father. 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 God's answer is to send men like you to do the things that he has called you to do. And when boys show up for a man's job, the job never gets done. 
You've got a decision to make today, boy or man, boy or man, boy or man. Father God, I pray for a strong spirit of conviction on the young men. God, I pray that they would take this as a somber and sober word, not just for themselves, but for all the guys they know that are not here. The guys that they know are dating women they shouldn't be dating, sleeping with women they should not be sleeping with. Going to the bar, hanging out with the boys rather than going home to open the Bible with the family. I pray, Lord God, for these young men who have been wrongly taught that if they put food on the table, that that is the sole sum of their responsibility. They're also to put the Bible in the hands of the family and wisdom into the heart of the family and life into the soul of the family and love into the conversations of the family. I pray, Lord God, for those men who are fearful of getting married because they don't wanna take on responsibilities. I pray for those men who are fearful of becoming husbands and fathers because they don't want a double portion of responsibility. I pray for those men who have those responsibilities and are trying to hand those off to women, children, institutions, organizations. Lord God, you made men to carry a load and we are like trucks and we drive straighter with a load. And Lord God, when a young man is living his life without a load of responsibility, he has a hard time keeping his life straight. And so Lord God, would you help to load up these young men with a lot of responsibilities so that their life could be straightened out and they could move forward in Jesus' good name, amen. You may take your seat. All right, grown men, my age group, 40 to 60 year old men. All of you guys stand up, take your time. We don't want you to pull anything, all right? Take it easy, all right. So for you young men, your sons. For you grown men, your brothers, right? For you older men, your fathers, and for the oldest men, your grandfathers. That's the identity and the mantle that you wear. Um, you men need to understand, for you who are in your age of what is it, 40 to 60, you right now, you're probably in your power years. And I need you to know that the culture doesn't honor or respect you because the culture is demonic. That almost every movie I've watched in recent years or children's television show with my children, and here's what I do. I don't say, kids, we're gonna ignore all technology and media. I'm the dad, I watch it with them. I hit pause and we talk. This is what the dad does in Proverbs. He's walking along. Hey son, you see that guy's house? Not really dad, there's weeds so far up I can't see it. Well, let's talk about that. What the father does is he integrates instruction in the natural rhythm and routine of life. So we'll watch TV, pause. And here's what I see over and over. Almost every movie, in every family movie, who's the dumbest person in the storyline? Dad. Who's the smartest person in the storyline? Child. Who's the Jesus figure that comes in to rescue and save? The pet. That's the narrative. That's the narrative. And so the cultural narrative over and over and over is, men are stupid, men are less than, men are incompetent, men can't be trusted, the dumbest person in the family is always the dad. I apologize for that, it's wrong. You are the greatest asset and gift other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person, the presence, power of the Holy Spirit in your home. And there is a particular word that God would have for us. Here it is. It's in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. It's written by a man named Paul. 
my beloved children. That's fatherly language, right? Fatherly language. Because there is a generational father wound, those of you who are old enough to be fathers, you have a particular powerful opportunity to bring healing. By not only being physical fathers to your children, but spiritual fathers to others. Now we can't organize this or codify this or formalize this because it becomes unhealthy and cultish. But what I'm saying is as you look at other people that are younger than you, you need to come with the father heart of God. You need to come with the father heart of God. There's a whole generation, particularly of men, nobody taught them how to get a job. Nobody taught them how to court a woman. No, nobody taught them how to love a woman. Nobody taught them how to raise a child. Nobody taught them how to read the Bible. Nobody taught them how to pray. Nobody even taught them that God was their real father and that they were his son in whom, in whom he is well pleased. You have this powerful opportunity to have this heart of fatherly love and to see others in that position of, of physical and spiritual sons and daughters. Paul says, my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many what? What he's saying is there's a lot of teachers, but there's not a lot of fathers. Today, you can buy a book. I've written books. I'm not against books. You can download a podcast. I've given away podcasts. I'm not against podcasts. You can go to lectures. I'm giving a lecture. So, okay, I'm for lectures. But you know what the world is not lacking is content, but modeling. But modeling. Fathers. We are a culture built on rebellion against fathers. Ever since the 60s and 70s, it is just assumed and presumed that every generation would rebel against their father. It's, it's, it's a rite of passage and what it is, it is suicide. Some of you men, you don't speak because you don't like conflict. You don't need to be angry. You can have a father's heart of love, but you need to speak to your wife. You need to speak to your children. You need to speak to your grandchildren. You need to speak life into them. There are not enough fathers and there are not enough spiritual fathers. This is a great church doing very well and it would double in size if the men who were of the age of father conducted themselves in a way of father. The number one way to grow a church is to have men who are life-giving and then women and children flourish and then others come to receive life from them. If just the older men in this room would take upon themselves the responsibility of spiritual fathering, you would start to see cultural transformation in your entire region. You would see God bringing additional men to learn from you men. And some of you men would say, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a theologian. Let me say, if you're godly and wise, you are needed. Any old guy with a beat up Bible, he, he's a unicorn, right? Like he's one of a kind. Here's, let me give you a couple of things if you're not doing it already, men. Pray for your wife every day. Pray with your wife every day. Read your Bible every day, every 
day. If you'll just do a couple of simple things, you will see that God honors and blesses that and you will start to receive the father heart of God. That will change how you relate to your wife, your children, your grandchildren, and others will start seeing you in a way of spiritual fathering. We've got a whole generation in Christianity that is just chasing after young guys. I used to be the young guy. I'm not obviously the young guy. And here's what I know that we like to because we're a celebrity-driven, youth-oriented culture. We take young people, we throw them on the stage, and then we make them the example. That's not really all that wise. Men who are older, men who are seasoned, men who have been beaten down and they have gotten up, men who have failed and tried again, men who have taken their lumps and still maintain their fidelity toward their wife and toward the Lord, those are the men that should have the mantle of speaking and saying something and imparting life. I need you to know that if you are just a guy who loves Jesus, has been a Christian for a while, somehow stayed faithful to your wife and repented of sins in your past, you are a miracle, you are a minority, and you are desperately needed. That this is not the time where you go sit on the shelf because it's time for the young people to take the stage. This is the time where you have the Father's heart to develop the next generation. These are your power years. Paul is a man who had people like that. He calls Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus, my sons. They're not his physical sons, they're his spiritual sons. They're people that he led to the Lord Jesus Christ and he discipled and invested in. He says, you do not have many fathers. And for you younger men in the room, I need you to understand that there's an opportunity to have God as your father and possibly even to find an older man in the church to be in some sort of father relationship so that you can learn from him and glean from him. One of the most profoundly transforming moments in my life. I was a college uh, freshman or sophomore. I was a young man, brand new Christian. I'd never seen a dad read the Bible. I'd never seen a dad pray with his kids. I'd never seen a family worship God. I had no clue. I could have read a hundred books and I could have downloaded a thousand podcasts, but I hadn't seen it. And this family invited Grace and I over for dinner in the church. And we told them, hey, we'll babysit your kids so you can get a date night because they couldn't really afford a date night. I think they had 12 kids. I always get confused. It was 12 or 13, but the kids were fast. It was hard to count. There was about a dozen kids, um, two boys and like 10 or 11 girls. And we went to their house, Christian family, simple, normal Christian family, rural. They lived out in the middle of nowhere. I walk in, it's great to be with the family. We all sit down for dinner. Boom, the kids grab my hands. What are we doing? They all took turns praying. Uh, this is crazy, what are we doing? And then we had a conversation, it was about the Lord and things they were learning and what's God teaching you? I was like, this is crazy. This is, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. The parents go on date night, I'm babysitting the kids. The little girls come up with a little Bible and they say, it's almost bedtime, can you read us the Bible story? This is crazy, we do this? I had no idea. Yeah, I'll read you. what happens is they say, well, dad, we can't read. Dad reads us the Bible story. Dad's out on date night with mom. Can you read the Bible? Okay, I read the Bible story. And they say, okay, pray for us now. Little girl takes my hand, puts it on her head, says, okay, pray for me. What, what? I, I'm now in college and I'm the student and the four-year-old girl's the professor teaching me how to be a dad. <laughs> okay. We go to tuck the kids in and they all wanna sing a worship song. I kid you not, I'm babysitting the Von Trott family. It's amazing. <laughs> and I drove away from their house that night babysitting the kids thinking, I have never seen that. And this family doesn't know that what they just taught me were some of the most important things I've ever seen in my whole life. 
You men need to understand that your home, if it belongs to Jesus, and your wife, if she belongs to Jesus, and your dinner table, if it's consecrated to the Lord Jesus, are sacred places to make disciples. And that you don't have to be a theologian, you just need to have a father's heart and an open life so that others can observe, amen? He says, my beloved children, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Just like people are born physically, they're born again spiritually. And as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's an opportunity to raise up not only physical children, but spiritual children. These are not the people that Paul gave birth to physically, but through the gospel, he gave birth to spiritually. I need you fathers to expand your concept of the fatherhood of God. I need you to forgive your fathers, as Jesus says, from the heart, if you hold any bitterness toward your father. I need you to accept the disposition of a father in your home and in your community. I need you to have a father's heart of love for others. I need you to open your home and life and marriage and family so that others can see what a father looks like. Because let me tell you this, there's nowhere else on the earth they can see that. Only in your home can anyone see a woman get prayed for. Only in your home can see a family sit down for dinner. Only in your home can they see that a father has bought an age-appropriate Bible for each child in the family. Only in your home can they see that a dad lays hands and prays over his children to be the source of life and blessing. Only in your home can they see the TV get turned off so that the conversation can get turned on. You men are in your power years. The culture is dying for men like you. Young men are struggling because they don't know men like you. You are in your power years. Father God, thank you for these men, these grown men. Thank you, Lord God, for the experience that you have given them. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given them. I pray firstly for their physical um, offspring, their children and their grandchildren. I pray also, Lord, that their wife would be loved and flourishing. And I pray, Lord God, that they would then open their homes and lives, that young couples and singles and men who have not yet seen godly fathering would have examples in modeling, not in any way that is forced, but in a way that is blessed. And Lord God, in the strong name of Jesus, we now pray against this demonic cultural spirit that criticizes men, that belittles men, that attacks men, that diminishes men, that discourages men, that encourages men to have midlife crisis and men who should be in their power years reverting back to their childish years. Lord God, I pray for my brothers, the men who are in my life stage that we would invest these years, that we would not waste these years. I pray, Lord God, for a legacy from them physically and spiritually. I pray that right now you would put joy in their heart, hope in their imagination, and steel in their spine. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, last group of men, you're welcome to take a seat. The older men, 60 plus. And we will honor all of these men. If you're 60 plus, please stand. We do not live in a culture that honors older men, amen? We want to be men who honor older men. The easiest way to get a man to be honorable is to honor him. 
That's why the Bible talks against wives nagging their husbands. It never works. If we want men to become honorable, we honor them and then men rise up to our level of expectation. And by honoring older men, we honor all men. And we put them in a position of respect and authority so that they can be in a position of blessing in life. I wanna thank you older men for joining us. I need you to understand that there are men in this room that have never seen a man of your age who actually belongs to the Lord Jesus, that has walked with the Lord Jesus. Some of you men have walked with the Lord Jesus from infancy and for the rest of us, you're an absolute miracle and you're a source of great encouragement and hope. The Bible talks about living epistles. Some people write good books and some people live their life in such a way that it's better than any book anyone has ever read. And by observing them, we learn more about the grace of God. You older men are in this amazingly strategic season of your life. Um, give you God's word for you. First John chapter two, verse one. It's very simple. My little children. God wants you to have a grandfather's heart. The young men are boys. Then there are young men who are brothers. And then there are men who are fathers. And then you men are the grandfathers. We move from being sons to brothers, to fathers, to grandfathers. You're now into that season of your life. John is a man, his story is curious. He's the youngest of the disciples. He's the one that Jesus loved. He was very loyal and faithful. He wasn't like Thomas who doubted. He wasn't like Peter who denied. He was one who was steadfast and resolute to the Lord Jesus. In his younger years, John was a hothead. <laughs> right, the story of John is that, uh, for example, he walks into a town and he asks, Lord Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven to destroy all of these people? That's not really a grandfather's heart, amen? <laughs> He's also a very arrogant young man. As a young man, he goes to the Lord Jesus and he basically asks, um, I heard you've got a throne in heaven. I would like to sit on the throne next to you. I'm not asking for the big throne, just the little throne. You're welcome. I'll sit, I'll sit next to you. And rule and reign over all kings and kingdoms and dominions and ages. He was an angry man. He was an impetuous man. He was an arrogant man. And I would say that young ambitious men all trend and tend in that direction. What happens to John is as he gets older, he gets not less strength, but he also gets more love. He writes this, so John is the one, he saw his own brother martyred. He saw all of the disciples put to death. They tried to murder John. They boiled him alive in oil, history says. They exiled him to a place called Patmos. It's a penal colony in the middle of nowhere. I've been there and I've been to the cave where it's believed that he was visited by the Lord Jesus and given the book of Revelation. And at this point, everyone else is dead and gone and John is the last man standing. And he has to set the emotional trajectory for the second and third generation of Christianity. So John is sort of on his farewell highlight tour. He's like Billy Graham. Billy just had a birthday. Billy is, Billy is the closest thing we've had to an apostle in our generation. He was faithful to his wife. He preached the gospel. He wore every arrow that was slung at him proudly. And he has kept the faith, he has finished the race, and he is on the threshold of entering into that day when he hears, well done, good and faithful servant. At the time that John writes this, he is perhaps pushing 80 to 100 years of age. He's an older man. 
He's been through many battles and wars. He bears the scars of ministry on his body and in his soul. And when he is taken on tour to the churches, it is recorded in history that they would sit him up front and as a very old man, he would talk over and over and over and over and over about the love of God the Father. As you read 1 John, he talks about God as Father. He still sees himself as an adult, male, grown, responsible, grandfather at heart son, and his message is one of love. He'll use that word love over and over and over and over and over in 1 John. And some of you men will really struggle to understand love. Don't focus so much on love, focus on Father. When you understand God as Father, love makes perfect sense that God loves you like you love your kids and your grandkids. Any of you granddads got a grandkid? Okay, how'd you feel when you held the grandbaby? Okay, that's how God feels about you. God loves you with a father's heart. God loves you with a grandfather's heart. God loves you in the same way that when you look upon your grandchild, they have not said anything, they have not done anything, they have not produced anything. Your relationship is not predicated upon their performance, it just starts with love. And it's the love that causes them to then grow and flourish. You older men understand that because you have lived in the love of God for such a long time. You have been changed and transformed by the grace of God for such a long time that you now realize that sometimes when people say love and they do so apart from the father heart of God, they are reducing the power of God's love. But when you understand the father heart of God and that God's love is a father's love, a father's love is a life giving, it is a protecting, it is an encouraging, it is a blessing, it is a nurturing love. And what I love about John is his language is this, my little children. I want you to see that here is John's story. John was a man who was misdirected and got redirected. He was strong, but Jesus had to redirect him. Right? He was bold, but Jesus had to redirect him. He was courageous and Jesus had to redirect him. And that is the journey of every man. God does not want to change who you are as much as he wants to redirect who you are. He wants to take that which is your strength, that is your weakness, move it out of the flesh, into the spirit, from the shadow side into the light, so that who you are in the strength of the spirit by the love of God becomes ultimately the redirected you. How many of you older men, you know what I'm saying, the younger men don't know what I'm saying, but the older men, you understand that you were this way, God hasn't changed you as much as he's redirected you. He's redirected your strength. He's redirected your courage. He's redirected your ambition. He's redirected your love. He's redirected your life course. How many of you understand that? You're in this point now as older men whose life has been redirected and his life at this point had been redirected, that you're in a position to have a father's heart for others. Not to shame men, not to devastate men, not to discourage men, but to redirect men. Son, I know you're strong. You need to go this direction. Son, I know you're scared. The father will never leave you, forsake you. You're not alone or abandoned. Son, what you're doing leads to death, not life. I know you're very passionate, but your passion has got you in trouble. Let's redirect you toward a passion for God's glory. 
You older men are in this season of your life where the younger men in life are like sails. You men are rudders. You men are rudders. You take your children, your grandchildren, young men in your business, young men in your church, young men in your neighborhood. They're strong. You're the rudder. That's what wisdom is. It's the rudder. Feel free to have passion. Make sure you don't overlook direction. Feel free to move forward, but know what course you're charting. Where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? I need you older men to know that your role with others is to have the Father's heart to see others as God's children. This includes your physical children and your spiritual children. And it is God's calling for you to be the rudder in the life of others. Some of your kids are astray, be a good rudder. Some of your grandkids are astray, be a good rudder. Certain people in your life are astray, be a good rudder. John at this point in his life has seen his life redirected by the Lord Jesus, and then he is the one who is helping redirect others' lives to follow in the pattern and the precedent of the Lord Jesus. You men are tremendous gifts to your family, your tremendous gifts to this ministry, your tremendous gifts to this community. We honor you today, we bless you today, we love you today, we thank you today, we need you today. Father God, thank you for this time to spend with the men. Thank you, Lord God, for an opportunity to open your word. I pray for each life stage of men that they would receive a word from your word that Lord God, sometimes we get so busy in our life that we fail to step back and take a look at our life. We get so busy working in our life that we don't take time to look at and to work on our life. Lord, I pray for wisdom for each of us. I pray for discernment for each of us. And Lord, I pray inclined to thank you for the older men, the grandfathers and the fathers. And Lord God, we pray for the men today who are not here. We pray for the men who should be here. We pray for the men who are young and they are strong, but they are foolish and misdirected and need to be redirected. And we ask Lord God for the wisdom of these men to find those men, to speak to those men, to if necessary, rebuke those men so that they can help redirect those men. And Lord God, I pray for each of us that we receive a word from you today, a life-giving, soul-clarifying, eternally altering word from your word so that Lord God, we could walk in your will and we could be your sons and that Lord God, we could be good sons, that we could be good brothers, that we could be good husbands, that we could be good fathers, that we could be good grandfathers in Jesus' good name, amen.